This is eSports Today with Rob Zachney and Andrew Gruen. Welcome to this edition of eSports Today for October 6th, 2015. I'm your host, Rob Zachney, alongside Andrew Gruen, here to cover the latest news and events in eSports. On today's show, the League of Legends World Championship shatters every expectation. We also see the return of old-school face-punch, Russian-style Dota 2 at ESL New York. But first... We have to deal with my crippling depression following Buell's defeat in the GSL final against Innovation. <laughs> Rob, I, I thought we talked about this. Buell doesn't win finals. He can't do it. And StarCraft, let me tell you, does not suffer those who cheer for the underdog. You've got to just roll with it and respect the strength of superior players like Innovation. Well, first, Andrew, I'm from Chicago. <laughs> so I have no choice but to root for the underdog. Like, okay, the Blackhawks are gonna are an exception, but by and large, like uh, my, my I am doomed to a lifetime of rooting for people who will inevitably fail. Uh, but you know, I started to believe. I thought that maybe this time uh, Charlie Buell was going to kick that old StarCraft football. Uh, and I'll tell you exactly when my optimism became terminal. It was that first game of the final on Vani Research Station, which, by the way, has turned into one of my favorite maps in the pool right now. It's, it's throwing up lots of great games, lots of memorable games. Uh, but it looked like it was so dangerous for Buell. Uh, Innovation did exactly the kind of thing we talked about last week. He went mech and started to take map control away from Buell. And this is a movie we've seen a million times before. The Zerg smash right. into the Terran a hundred times until the Zerg run out of money. And the Terran basically wins by default. But that didn't happen here. Uh, Buell staved off the Terran push and then conducted a really successful siege that slowly, methodically ground Innovation to dust. Right, but even there, Buell only salvaged that situation because innovation sort of inexplicably made this terrible push. This push you were talking about was was a terrible idea for him. He was like three quarters of the way to establishing his classic unbeatable mech army. And then he just sort of picks up and decides, my, my invincible army is almost complete. Better attack before it's complete. And he gives up his defensive position and charges right into Buell's army and gets crushed. It was it was terrible. And, you know, I was actually right there with you. I thought that this was innovation tilting and Buell getting his footing. And I was, I was starting to think this was already a one series. But it was game two where I actually think that this series was lost because... Um, it, it, because it's in this game where Buell sort of goes for the throat. He tries to cheese innovation with a Zergling rush uh, to go up like a quick 2-0 in the series. And if he does that, it's probably over. Uh, so he does his Zergling rush and it works like really well. He does a ton of early damage and then he falls back and starts playing really greedy. He doesn't build any more army units so that he can build a better economy. And while he's foregoing building a military... Innovation understands that the only way he can win now is to go for this sort of immediate knockout blow. And so out of nowhere, he just charges across the map and wipes out Buell before he knows what's coming. And I think this is the moment where Buell lost this series. It was really early on, but as a Zerg player, so much of the game is instinctual. You have to be able to predict what your opponent is doing, uh, to know when attacks are likely to come so you can counter them. You know, I'm not going to go too deep into the mechanics of why that is. Um, 
you know, specifically over other races in StarCraft 2, but you just, you really have to have rock-solid game sense as a Zerg player. Uh, and here was a moment where Buell had every advantage in the world, but he failed to anticipate this attack. His game sense let him down. And I, and I think as a Zerg player, once you start to distrust your instincts, it's kind of all over from there. And then, you know, almost like sensing that, it's like innovation... He had this chance to just totally tilt Buell because right in the next game, Innovation comes out and cheeses as well with this sort of all-in strategy where you build your army-producing unit uh, buildings right outside your opponent's base so you can attack them really quickly. And and like this is it, right? This is that moment when Buell starts thinking in his head. He goes down two games to one and he starts thinking, oh my god, am I going to lose again? How embarrassing will that be? You know, my, my my parents are watching this. I can already see my father's slow head shake of disapproval. Uh, I think Buell may have come into this match calm and ready to go and ready to put the pass behind him. But after this cheese match against Innovation, I think there's no possible way he wasn't broken mentally. You know, there is nothing worse and sadder than, like, Korean esports parents' disappointment. Uh, but... <laughs> You know, I, I just, I don't buy it, uh, because a broken player doesn't go on to win game four in such a textbook fashion. Now, admittedly, Innovation was flirting with Bioplay again, and Barrick's units are just not the instruments that Innovation prefers. It's not his great strength. Uh, but still, even after all those defeats, Buell absolutely picked Innovation apart in their fourth game. So I don't think you can say Buell choked here. Uh, I don't think you can put this down to sort of uh, him, him, him tilting and getting off balance. Uh, I think he was really closely matched on skill against Innovation. But in that situation, then, you can't then blow a lead like Buell did in Game 2 and expect not to pay a price. And you can't go down to a proxy barracks, uh, which is that, that build you were just describing, and an ensuing uh, bunker rush. Uh, you can't go down to that either. Yeah, that's one, maybe two wins that Innovation shouldn't have been able to pick up, and that proved, that that turned out to be the margin. Uh, so you know, it was interesting because in terms of standard games, I don't think Innovation did that well during this final. Uh, game 5 was probably his best win of the night. Uh, it was a huge uh, mech build uh, with, with a with a degree of Sky Terran, uh, as it's called when, when Terran begins to go into lots of Vikings, uh, lots of Ravens, and uh, lots of uh, battlecruisers. And it's just this brawl uh, between him and a maxed out Zerg army. And it really went the distance. And it was it was fantastic as, as these two players just went at each other with everything they had. And, and, and Buell lost that in the end because uh, a maxed out Terran mech army is extremely hard uh, for, for Zerg to break. Uh, but it was, but still, like for the game to go that far, it, it was clear like this was these were very evenly matched players. Yeah, but you know, you said it yourself, the only game, the only other game that Buell won was when Innovation was forced by sort of the structure of the map to play the Terran bio style, which is just not in his wheelhouse. Uh, and so, like, I still think you can say that this was a mental lapse from Buell. And, you know, the, the, the moment to me that kind of proves it is right at, at the end of the last game when he loses the fourth game and he real and he's completely done the series. He has lost the championship. He he kind of rage quits like there's it's it's a moment where he knows as an intellectual starcraft player that he has lost but generally if you're if you're out of luck this this is your last game you're going to try to play it out from there you're going to try to see if maybe innovation makes a mistake um but buell just sort of like quits in the middle of a battle that he you know it, it didn't feel like it was completely over like every shred of hope was lost but it did start to feel a little bit like uh like a like a rage quit uh anyway you know before we move on from gsl 
there was a little announcement at the end of the finals after this Buell, <laughs> Buell Rage quit uh, that marks a pretty significant shift in the Korean StarCraft scene. Right, and honestly, I'm not sure what to think yet. Uh, so, GOM, the company that's been broadcasting StarCraft II from the beginning of the game, is no longer going to be operating GSL. That role is shifted to Africa TV, who have promised that they will continue the GSL and will resume free, high-quality broadcasts uh, next year. And apparently, from what I've read on Reddit, uh, this isn't huge news. Uh, Africa pretty clearly had a deal in place with GOM, and it was just a matter of flipping the switch and making this announcement. Uh, but still, you know, I fear change, and I, I think StarCraft fans in general fear change because it's rarely <laughs> for the better. And the rule with GSL these last few years is that change definitely tends to be for the worse. Uh, so I'm not sure that fear is unjustified, uh, especially since all I really know about Africa is that they're yet another streaming service. Yeah, I mean, when you love something the way it is, then business as usual is the best possible news, and this is not that. Uh, you know, GOM has done a really great job with StarCraft, as far as I'm concerned, apart from the fact that the free broadcasts that they offer are actually terrible quality streams. Everything that came after when they were GOM TV, the, the switch to GOM XP or whatever, right, right, it all kind of went downhill there, and I would say the experience with GOM became much less enjoyable after that. Mm. Yeah, it, it, it to me it comes down to what Africa's agenda is. You know, what is it that they're hoping to gain from StarCraft Two? Is it is it some kind of like name recognition in the streaming space by being the guys who uh, who broadcast StarCraft? You know, and what I wonder is like what happens when they achieve that and they become bigger than Star than than a StarCraft Two scene. Um, that is kind of you know it's not it's not like dying or anything like that but like starcraft is less popular than it has been in a few years um and and at this point it's it's kind of all speculation but for now i think you know kind of the best course of action is just to give africa the benefit of the, of the doubt and see what comes of this cuz it, it could be a very good thing you know you mentioned that there have been some lapses over the last couple of years with com tv uh and we can kind of hope for the best uh, but now, but now we have to to talk about the absolutely bonkers opening to the League of Legends Championship that we had this weekend. And to help us do that, we've asked freelance writer James Obscurica Chen to join us. James, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. So, I have questions. So, so many questions about what the hell happened at Worlds this past weekend. Uh, but I guess we'll start with something simple. You know, how are how are your predictions going? Um, I pretty much spared all my predictions. There are no <laughs> left. Uh, the only the only thing we're left short is that SKT one is probably still the best team in the world, and that's sure. a huge maybe. There's a, there's a couple question marks there, but uh, holy shit, man! What a weekend! <laughs> <laughs> so, so what to you was the, was the biggest surprise? Who came out looking great that you just did not expect to see? Okay, so let's remember that Cloud9 is a 7th place team in North America, at least according to the <laughs> summer rankings, okay? Like, they were about to be relegated into challengers. They were about to lose their uh, their right uh, subsidies. Holy shit. Where did this team come from? Where were they all summer? Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting because uh, Cloud9 ends up going 3-0 uh, and 0 
this weekend. And I remember, uh, Andrew, when, when they qualified for Worlds, one of the things I was saying is that High didn't even sound like he wanted to be there. High sounded like <laughs> he was kind of resenting the fact he couldn't quit playing League of Legends yet. And uh, so we, like, I think we were both agreed, like, it was going to be a nice coda, like, hey, he saved Cloud9, uh, they weren't going to be relegated, but they were going to go off to Worlds, and the plan was they were going to go off to Worlds and do what American teams do, which is get annihilated by, uh, like, Korean and, and Chinese teams. Uh, and that didn't happen. They, they end up uh, topping their group right now. And... Uh, you know, that's that's not the only crazy upset that ended up happening, right? Like, you've got Origin, uh, who were, were for the entire split, like, not... The, they, they were the European team that were good, but they weren't, like, fanatic good. They weren't in Fnatic's sure, league. Right. And, uh, you know, and then you've got just... Actually, James, I want to I I bring this up with you, because I kind of feel like there's been a bait-and-switch. For the better part of the season and we've all been conditioned to think this way by experience but this was the year that like it was going to be china versus korea like china had finally achieved like league of legends parody uh that you know boy china was really bringing it this year you had edg you had lgd and uh you know not quite at that level but uh you had invictus gaming uh looking pretty sharp as well and so this was this was going to be this was going to be a world's where uh, China really make, makes it clear that they, they stand toe-to-toe with the best Korea can offer. And I feel like that didn't quite happen this weekend. This weekend. <laughs> uh, yeah, to put it lightly. Um, I don't know what to tell you, because a couple of months ago during Missy's Invitationals, they were actually looking as good or better than most of the Korean teams. Definitely the, the Western teams, right? Like EDG slapped down SKT T1, which the number of teams you can actually count that on your hands in any tournament is like one. <laughs> and that's that would be the Samsung teams, and Samsung's no longer here. They're in China, and they went back, went back and kicked Faker's ass a second time around. And that's that, we assume that that was going to be a narrative coming in a couple of months later. But something between then and now changed, and large parts has to do with the uh, infrastructure that was supposed to be supporting teams like LGG, like Invictus Gaming, like IG's current coach was Invic- was um, LGD's uh, head coach just a couple weeks ago before they dumped him in favor of Homey, which was a former uh, Samsung player. So I have no idea what's going on with the team, well, what's going on with the practices and what's going on with the coaching staff, but they sunk themselves somehow between the it, just in the last couple weeks, just in the last month before Worlds. And that's kind of honestly really disappointing, especially if you're an LPO fan. So the, the the question that I that I'm I'm really most looking forward to kind of trying to unpack uh, through this conversation is, you know, was this was this whole weekend was this a case of of South Korea and China underperforming or was it a case of the West overperforming uh, from what we expected? Oh, you know, there's actually there's a third possibility too. It's that the Asian teams are still significantly better than the West. They just completely underestimated them and didn't prepare uh, for those. Uh, opponents to be as good and i'm wondering like what do you which of those possible realities do you think we're living in is is underperforming overperforming are we in the darkest timeline (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, the interesting thing about underperforming would be that it implied that the Korean teams would be doing better than they know, uh, that they should be doing better, right? I actually don't necessarily believe that. I think that the 2014 postseason, when China's billionaires basically grabbed everybody, it did in fact ultimately impact the overall level of Korean esports. Although I also hasten to note that all of the Korean teams are still in contention to pass their groups anyhow. The worst they've done so far is 2-1. Like, they've got some really nasty losses, but in the end, statistically, they're still ahead of everybody else. So, at least for the Koreans, it's looking really rough, but it's still status quo for them. The Chinese teams are where it's really, really hurting them. And I shared the opinion for a while that China was going to have an advantage over everybody else because of all the talent grabbing. But what Afro told me during a PC Gamer interview a couple, a couple weeks ago was that he actually believed that the communication problems will ultimately be their demise, especially against the more prepared teams. Like, they will probably be everybody third or below from North America and Europe, just off like individual talent alone. But when it comes against the top tier teams that actually have teamwork and preparation and proper coaching, that they would begin to flounder like they have right now. So at least a few people like saw this coming, at least a few. Okay, so that actually raises a couple questions for me because I kind of, I can't believe that it would it would come to that like when you when you talk about like communication problems these these coordination issues like this is stuff that top tier teams absolutely have to have and this is something that like these teams were considered uh top tier teams and the level of competition in uh L- L- LPL was really high this year and so i, I guess I, i'm curious like why weren't these issues being felt earlier um, I would say that they were actually somewhat evident in uh, LPL play. Like you saw a lot of teams would be really inconsistent and sometimes just really godlike. Like when they were on the point and their game senses were uh, were pretty much in sync with, with each other, then yeah, you still have EEG at 3-0 and you still have LGD beating EEG at times. But you also have like completely inexplicably awful games coming out, especially from uh, IG, which uh, yeah, has... Hasn't been as bad as LGD so far, but still really, really painful to look at sometimes. And in the end, you just have to accept that, uh, well, frankly, it's really hard to learn both Hangul and Mandarin, and the two languages aren't exactly compatible in the first place. So even if you have these like top-class players, I think when they're under duress, especially when the teams they're facing aren't familiar to them, they're going to have a much harder time like they are right now. Like, if you're against an, another LPL team, right, LPL has the most number of games out of any of the leagues uh, out there in the world. And they're used to be playing against these teams to the point that they pretty much know each other's uh, strengths and weaknesses and don't necessarily need to have a lot of tactical flexibility. Against all these Western teams and Korean teams where they have uh, all, pretty much no prior experience whatsoever, they have to rely more on their own instincts, and that's when they start to flounder. So... James, uh, we talked a little bit about this last week, and things were certainly looking a little more dire when, when I brought this up to you, but um, I, I think a lot of us were surprised that uh, AHQ didn't look particularly strong to start out, and now that now that appears to have stabilized somewhat. somewhat. Like, Group B, the, the, the group of death, is kind of living up to the billing, and that with the bizarre exception of Cloud9... Uh, everyone is, is sort of struggling to to uh, collect wins in, in that group, but uh, I, I am curious. Like, what did you what did you expect from uh, from from AHQ? I, I know you're a bit of a, a homer when it when it comes to that region, uh, but I, I, I'd love to hear your as unbiased as possible opinion. 
So I have to admit that I did expect it to beat C9, regardless of what their state was. But I think that pretty much everybody except, expected C9 to be at the bottom of the rankings by now. It's completely opposite. So I'm actually glad that C9 is doing as well as they are, because then AHQ doesn't look quite as bad in comparison. Losing to Invictus Gaming after Invictus Gaming's been pretty much dead in the water against everybody else is embarrassing again. But on the other hand, Invictus Games also been a lot more aggressive than they were, than they were in the two prior games before that. So HQ is doing roughly about as I expected with the with the only C9 as a deviation. I expected them to have a harder time against IG and Fnatic, but they won the Fnatic matchup, which by the way puts them 2-0 over that team this year. And um, actually isn't completely out of my range of expectations. It's just the actual teams that they lost and won against are what's frustrating me at this point. You know, that's, that's, that is actually one question that I wanted to dive into. Um, with respect to Origin, is Origin as a team as good as they're playing, or is it just Xpeke playing out of his mind? Because sometimes when we watch these games, it does start to feel that way. So Xpeke definitely didn't perform at this level during the EU LCS regular season. Uh, I guess, but he never does. He always shows up in worlds and suddenly surprises everybody. <laughs> it's like, he, if you want to talk sandbagging, which is a really popular term when it comes to Chinese teams right now, yeah, it seems as if Xpec has pretty much been sandbagging just enough to actually get to worlds and then he'll take it seriously, which is kind of frustrating for an Origin fan. But on the other hand, it's, <laughs> it's pretty exciting right now. It's really rewarding to be on the Origin train right now. Um, although I think a lot of it has to do with their current coach. Uh, the Hermit was their previous head analyst, and he's been bumped up a grade. And for what I've been told by the people in the scene, he's he's actually pretty much the the biggest brains behind their operation right now, anyhow. So, hey, props to him. <laughs> I, they're, they're definitely performing way better than expected, but I think a lot of that has to do with the uh, with uh, LGD feeling as well. I actually did think they had a decent matchup against KT, but... So I, I'm also curious, like stylistically, like kind of the whole point of Worlds is to to bring these teams together from around the world and, and see, you know, the region styles match up against each other and see the the titans of each region uh, match up against one another. And, and I'm wondering, what sort of trends do you see stylistically coming from the teams that are winning? Is there something that we can point out as being, this is the way you're winning League of Legends right now? Or is it just that each of these teams has their own way that they're they're coming away with these wins? Uh, so, so far, the most successful teams, especially for the Western teams, have been teams that utilized strong wave player in, in uh, early pressure, right? Like, they want to be able to take a turret down, or two turrets even, within the first 10 or 15 minutes of the game. It's usually the teams that try to uh, scale out and play a really long, slow game that tend to suffer more. Um, simply because uh, once you lose the middle tower, especially, you lose a lot of control over the, over the map, and it becomes much, much harder to regain the uh, the sort of vision and uh, war drops that you need to stay to actually stay in the game and not get caught out. Yeah, and I think that that style is really kind of evident when we're looking at Edward Gaming in particular. You know, Rob is kind of an Edward Gaming fan, and they have kind of this, it seemed to me like this kind of bull rush strategy where they would just show up, even at level one, they'd go ahead and dive a turret if they felt like they could get an advantage out of it. You know, is that something you saw from Edward? Oh, I think it's a lot, uh, we're seeing that from a lot of the most successful teams. Um, that's kind of why, one of the reasons why uh, a lot of the Juggernauts and Alistar has been really popular right now, because they can survive that early uh, bull rush and uh, that early tower dive, without too much incident at least. So, as we t- turn towards next week, I- I- I'm curious, 
first of all let me ask you do you think these do you think these leads are are going to hold up like do you do you think cloud nine is going to continue to have the kind of success they're having do you think origin will continue to have the kind of success they're having uh or, or do you feel that like these teams people expected great things from uh you know the 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 ahqs the the uh the igs the well okay lgd is basically wearing a, a toe tag at this point but let's uh <laughs> let's give it to them do, do you think that, that that they're going to turn things around and sort of restore order to the league of legends world or uh do you feel like what we saw this weekend is actually reflective of it turns out where these teams actually are uh when it comes to a competition like this uh, so for the sake of my own region, I'm kind of hoping not. I'm especially <laughs> hoping that the North American and the European teams will be re- will be exposed in the next co- in the next week, because then I actually have a chance of being able to cheer on my own native teams going through groups and into the brackets. However, I don't think it's actual fluke that we're seeing uh, Cloud9 and Origin at three zero within the first week, and even like CounterLogic gave me at the top of the charts with Ku uh, Tigers, like. I think that there has been a significant amount of work over the last two years from the Western teams to seriously invest in coaching and player performance uh, improvements and analyst work as well to catch up to these European, to these uh, Korean teams and the Chinese teams. I think it's actually begin to, uh, beginning to uh, basically uh, bear fruit. And that, that I think, is, makes for very, very exciting uh, spectating, at least. And um, I'm not too angry about, I wouldn't be too angry about. Uh, Flash Wolves losing to, losing to CLG, if it actually means that there is a lot of uh, region par- regional parity this year. So I'm going to do something mean, and I'm going to ask you to make a prediction in this horrible world's environment where nobody is able to actually make good predictions. Uh, but you mentioned earlier that you think SK Telecom uh, is the strongest team right now. Um, is there a number two? Is there somebody else in one of the groups that you feel like is going to emerge at the top of the pack by the end of next week? <sighs> By the end of next week, huh? Oh, shit. <laughs> There's, like, nothing I can say here that will actually come off as intelligent in a week because it's just that hard to predict right now. You should <laughs> always choose to bay leave. Not too uh, late. No. No, 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 no. I'm not that desperate. Uh, I think that KT is, um, despite having only one loss, they're, they're considered the, strongest, the second strongest team in South Korea for region. I think they, they will eventually show up against Origin. Uh, I don't think Origin has been fully solved quite yet, even though that even even though uh, they are three zone in the uh, Group D right now. Uh, similarly, I think Cloud9 will actually stay on top. I've been saying for weeks, really? and yeah. Um, the problem is I'm not sure if HQ can actually handle Cloud9 as they are. I do think that Fnatic is, has been a bit revealed recently. Uh, during the end of the EU uh, LCS summer split, I complained. I complained with a lot of uh, with a lot of protests that uh, Cla- uh, Fnatic just is, doesn't seem to have a really strong early game, and that's what's kind of going to kill a lot of teams during this uh, this year's Worlds. Like their weaknesses early on, especially with Huni being having a bit of a trigger uh, hair trigger when it comes to his uh, top lane temper, is going to bite them in the butt a lot more. Like we saw a lot of that against HQ as well, where. Th- uh, the moment that he thinks he's behind, he'll try to do a teleport play to uh, recover as soon as possible, right? And that's really predictable at this point. HQ actually said that they specifically expected that from Fnatic and from Huni especially. So they set up a scenario where uh, immediately after killing him, they would set up a, uh, a trap for him. So the moment he came back, the moment he tried mm-hmm. to go aggressive again, they would dump on him. And that was really successful. 
So that's really interesting because, you know, Rob and I have talked about uh, how earlier it seemed, you know, Rob had talked about how Fnatic was so strong in the late game that he almost wondered if they were beginning to throw early games just to put themselves further behind and give themselves more of a challenge. You know, Rob, how does that, how does that kind of make you feel looking at that, like looking at Fnatic as being, you know, one of the great hopes oh, and one is... of the great teams from this season? What does that, what does that feel oh, like You're to setting you? me up. Wow. Okay. I'm blindsided. You're, you're paying me back for something else. Okay. Um, so... In context, uh, I, I I thought Fnatic was having some pro like things were coming very easily easily to Fnatic, and I did know that as a team they had some concerns about uh, their sort of comeback game plans. And at a certain point, I, I could have easily believed they were starting to tank early games because they simply were needing to practice uh, other aspects. It was a good it was a good chance to experiment once they were pretty clearly uh, out in in front of the rest of EU uh, by a mile. Uh, clearly, I was wrong. Uh, clearly, there, there there are some some bigger issues with that team. Uh, but you know, it's it's difficult to say because one thing, if you if you talk to Fnatic, uh, and, I, and I've had some chats with with players and and, man, and management there, um, they all acknowledge that this kind of format is not necessarily where they're strongest. Fnatic is a team that uh, likes to play sort of the the endurance game. They like to get a chance to sniff out their opponent and, and get a feel for for what they're dealing with. And in this series mm-hmm. of best of ones, uh, this is, this is kind of, this kind of plays to fanatics weaknesses. And I think that's, that's starting to make itself manifest. Now I, I do agree. I think, uh, Huni is both being figured out and possibly may have been a bit, um, overrated over the course of this year, uh, in part because he's such a charismatic personality that like, uh, being a Huni fan was a fun thing to be. And maybe paper. It's hard not to be. Pardon? It's hard not to be a Hootie fan. Yeah, no, I mean the the the, the guy is he's 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 delight and he he generates nothing but uh but adorable memes, uh but it it, <laughs> it did obscure the fact that like. The Hooney show was a lot of times brought to you by Rainover and mid-game map control. Like that was that was a, a lot of of what made Hooney look so incredible. And when that starts to go away, uh, you 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 start seeing maybe Hooney's more temperamental shortcomings coming to the fore. But you know, I still ha- I still have hope. Uh, this is this is a team that's been a lot of fun to watch. And again, Group B was billed at the start as probably the the toughest group uh in the tournament it was going to be it was going to be a real melee uh in this group and i think i think we're seeing that uh, with the exception of cloud nine this is this is still you know anyone's game uh so i'm hoping Fnatic can can bring it back uh so james i, I did have a question though because i want to be clear on this uh next week uh th- th- this week and into the weekend they're doing another round, but they're just continuing the the scores and standings that they they created this this round, right? Because I heard people talking, like casters saying, like, "Oh my goodness, Cloud Nine has has won their group." Their scores are carrying over into the next couple days, right? Yeah. Okay. It was it was it was a bit confusing because it was like I have never heard of running two round robin group stages uh, that are identical, so. So basically, everyone everyone still has everyone still has a chance, uh, with the probable exception of LGD. <laughs> oh man, and the Bangkok Titans, but nobody was really counting on them in the first place, right? Uh, so, James, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, we'd love to have you back to later on during Worlds to uh, chat more about the ways we've been wrong. 
and uh, hopefully my teams won't be doing too bad by then. <laughs> well, you always have the Taipei Assassins. Uh, yeah, I always will. Okay, thank you. <laughs> So this was a huge weekend in MOBAs, as we also had the ESL New York Dota 2 Championship going on. Uh, and this was something I was really looking forward to as a Dota fan, um, because we got to see how the teams and strategies have progressed since the International in August. And it, it really it didn't disappoint. Are you sure? <laughs> because I'd like to introduce a little transcript from last week's show into evidence. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Is, this a, is this a trial now? I'm sorry. I thought this was America. You know, I woke up early to dig this up, okay? So just let me convene my little kangaroo court and convict you of being a guy who doesn't know what he's talking about. No, no, it's fine. I thought this was America, that's all. So I brought last week, I brought up the fact that this is a very different Evil Geniuses team. They got rid of AUI after TI5, and here's how that discussion ended. Rob, if EG show up to this thing and kind of stink up the joint, boy, just block Reddit on your browser, guys. Mm -hmm. Andrew... I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> this is EG's tournament to lose. Okay, okay. So the important thing to be reminded of here is that I don't know anything about Dota. I've played thousands of hours of it. I've watched hundreds or thousands more. Uh, but the game of Dota is so ridiculously complex that anybody who tells you that they know what's going to happen is is a fool. I, so maybe, maybe I forgot that a little bit after watching EG's run at the International. Uh, but but even still, you also have to remember that ESL New York is little more than a show match in the grand scheme of things. So they had this big $250,000 prize pool, but it's a $250,000 prize pool in between the International and the Fall Major, which are both million-dollar prize pools. Um, and, and, and so you also have to remember that EG lost one series, and it was against the eventual champions. So that's hardly what I would call stinking up the joint. Um, and, and beyond that, I think everybody came into this tournament really just looking for a chance to play around with the new patch that Valve uh, released for Dota 2. Um, Valve released this new patch, which kind of tweaked things from where they were at the International. It was nothing earth-shattering, um, but every patch destabilizes things in Dota. And, and to me, it was really clear that EG was trying out some weird new stuff. Team Secret was as well. Um, we saw Team Secret actually mess around with Elder Titan, who has been generally considered to be one of the worst characters in the game for quite a while now. So it was really, really cool to see him try that. Um, and, I, and I think teams were experimenting in preparation for the big show, which is the fall major happening in Germany, Germany at the end of the month. Um, but even, but even that, I, I don't want to be dismissal, dismissive, excuse me, of the event, of the eventual champions Vega squadron because they played like this awesome style of Dota that I had the most fun watching. Uh, a little bit of background: by the grand finals of this tournament, I was actually getting pretty bored. Uh, teams were playing this very passive style of Dota where they only ever seemed to engage if they could guarantee a, a free kill, and it was boring to me. But then Vega squadron shows up and they start playing what I call like face punch dota where you just get right up in someone's face and kind of like make them hurt it's an old style of dota that used to be really popular when russian and ukrainian teams were more dominant in the scene you know vega squadron is uh, i believe a ukrainian team and they're kind of like bringing it back and it was really fun they kind of just like they just attack 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 and if those attacks fail then so be it at least they failed playing their own game plan uh but we'd see this from vega over and over again they'd they'd attack all in and even if they failed they'd come right back and attack again which is weird because you 
usually when attacks fail, teams kind of fall back and retreat because they've realized, oh, we must be down in the game. We can't really afford to attack anymore. But Vega just refused all that. It was really, really fun to watch. Yeah, you know, I remember it. It wasn't just a Dota thing. Like a few years back, there was like this general like sense that Ukrainian and Russian Eastern European MOBA play was this really dynamic and exciting style. And both games, for different reasons, sort of transitioned away from that. Well, in League of Legends' case, actually, I think it's more fair to say uh, that other scenes adopted uh, more of that and sort of merged it with sort of the mechanical perfection you you would be seeing out of, uh, like, Chinese and Korean teams. Right. But, yeah, it's been a while since we, we, we've we seen that, that sort of uh, no-holds-barred style uh, really come to the fore in, in either of the, the major MOBAs. Uh, so I'll be very interested to see whether or not this kind of play continues at the majors this year, or whether it was, you know, basically a situational byproduct of a new patch and the fact that, like you said, ESL kind of ended up ESL one kind of ended up as a preseason tournament or a, a show match type of event, uh, which by the way is totally crazy when you're talking about prize pools that way. Like <laughs> yeah, absolutely dear God, like it, that's how, you know, you're seeing maybe a little saturated, uh, but that's all the news for today. So let's take a look at esports tomorrow. Starcraft is almost done except for BlizzCon. Uh, however, there is one last important pre-BlizzCon event on our calendar, and that is the Pro League final between SK Telecom and Janair Greenwings. Obviously, SKT are heavily, heavily favored to win, but they were heavily favored to win last year as well, <laughs> and Janair have really uh, turned on the Jets in these... Oh my god, that was terrible. I am so sorry. Uh, but no, but, but Jyn Air have, have, really turn, have, have really become sort of the, the upset factor in their, their team that's really overperforming, or at least overperforming compared to what they've shown for much of the season. So I'm hoping they can mount an unexpected challenge to SK Telecom, uh, because, you know, let's face it, SKT's kind of been doing a victory lap around Pro League for the last month or so. Uh, so that final takes place on the 10th, which means those of us in the U.S. and Europe should be able should be able to watch that uh, fairly early in the morning. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, I think the smart money is on SKT uh, to win. They've got all of the individual talent you could ever ask for. Uh, it's almost like it's, it's an administration win for them. Like behind the scenes, they they managed to sign all of the right players, and so they're they're likely to win here. They even have Innovation, who, as we mentioned earlier in the show, just won the individual GSL championship just a few days ago. So he'll now be able to focus all of his energy on preparing strategies to destroy Jin Air. Um, but this is sort of the beauty of Pro League. You can't count on individual talent as much as the other team. You know, you can't count on it because the other team is studying your players all week long and finding weaknesses and training these these snipers to specifically take them down in one very specific circumstance. Uh, so in a lot of ways, it's, it's like a battle between coaches as much as it is players. And so that's what's kind of what we get to see in Pro League. Uh, we'll be checking that out on the 10th. Uh, and also this weekend, we have some action in the fighting game tournaments as well as the uh, SoCal Regionals uh, will be going on from the 9th to the 11th. Uh, and the SoCal Regionals is kind of considered a major in the fighting game circuit. You'd probably rank this in the top five most important of the year, at least in terms of prestige. Uh, and it's on the West Coast, so we'll get to see a lot of popular veterans like Justin Wong and Alex Valle. Uh, the big games being played here will be uh, Ultra Street Fighter 4. 
uh, Mortal Kombat, Super Smash Brothers 4, and Melee, as well as Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3. Uh, and so beyond that, uh, we also have the Hearthstone America's Championship, which will take place from the 10th to the 11th, as eight players vie for a chance to go to the World Championship at BlizzCon. Uh, and then, of course, we'll also have the continuation of the League of Legends World Championship uh, group stage from Thursday the 8th through Sunday the 11th. We'll be watching all of these events over the coming week, and we'll be back on October 13th to talk about all this and more. But that's all we have time for this edition of Esports Today, an Idle Thumbs Network podcast produced by Michael Hermes. You can learn more about the show and discuss esports with us and the Idle Thumbs community at our website, esports.today. You can also follow us on Twitter at ES2D Podcast. If you've enjoyed esports today so far and you have a few spare minutes, you can really help us out by leaving a review on iTunes and telling your esports buddies about us. We'll be back next week to discuss the past, present, and future of esports. For Andrew Gruen, this is Rob Zachney signing off.